Hi, everyone. Dr. Tim and Hillary for another Dr. Tim's Aquatics podcast. How are you doing this morning, Hillary? I am doing good. All right. So today we are going to have a discussion about bacterial additives. And this was uh, kind of spurred on by a post on one of the more popular forums. And the poster had taken this quote about, it said something about um, people that have septic systems know that you don't have to add uh, bacteria to these septic systems if you have a healthy system. Then, But then they had crossed out septic and put reef, implying that you really don't have to add bacteria to a reef tank if you have a healthy reef tank. Of course, the operative word in both cases is reef. But what I wanted to talk about is I kind of wanted to counter that because comparing your reef aquarium to your septic system is a false analogy. So that's what I'm going to jump into. And uh, let's get down the rabbit hole. How's that, Hillary? Oh, man, we're just starting off strong. <laughs> yeah, we're just going for it. <laughs> I'm in that mood today. Okay, so right. so um, one one thing, the main reason, and, and I'm not going to talk a lot about septic systems, but you can buy bacteria for septic systems because obviously if it's healthy, you don't have to do anything with it. But comparing a septic system to an aquarium system is very different, namely because what do we have in our aquarium systems? We have lots of devices that intentionally and unintentionally remove bacteria from the system. And you need these devices to one degree or another. So I'm talking about UVs. Septic systems don't have UVs. We have UVs. If you have a fish-only system, a UV can be important. Now, there, you know, I've talked about it in numerous podcasts. There's always a trade-off. You're trying to keep um, disease organisms down, which can proliferate, especially in you know heavy, heavy fish systems that are fed a lot. And a UV can work. But the downside is you're probably also going to be killing the beneficial bacteria that are in the water column. I'm not talking about the nitrifiers. I'm talking about the bacteria that consume nutrients. So sometimes fish systems, which have a large input of organics and phosphates and then nitrates, because you're feeding a lot fish, you you know, you feed a fish only system a lot more than you feed a coral system. So if you use a UV to control bacterial populations in the water column, you're going to be killing the bacteria that would consume those nutrients. And that leads the system maybe towards having more cyanobacteria outbreaks, anything that lurks or hair algae, green hair algae, stuff like that, because nutrients are going to be utilized by something. If you eliminate the bacteria in the water column, Things that live on surfaces, cyanobacteria, hair algae, things like that are going to grow. So you have to take other measures. But if you realize that and understand that, you can counter those measures. Protein skimmers. I've never said don't run an aquarium without a protein skimmer. What I've said is put your skimmer on a timer. You need protein skimmers. We need to export 
organics from the system, which is what skimmers do, but unintentionally, they are really good at removing your bacteria. So try running a septic system, by re but removing the bacteria on a 24-7 basis. Your septic system's not going to work very well. But we need that skimmer to a certain degree. We have to understand the negative or potentially negative drawbacks of that skimmer and then take countermeasures, which is why we add bacteria. Roller mats, uh, filter socks, all these devices are necessary to one degree or another, but they're removing the bacteria population from the tank. So to counteract that, you need to add bacteria. And the other part of this um, post was about like diversity. And that's a big, big buzzword now is people want to increase the diversity of their aquarium. And this is problematic because there seems to be a general feeling that environments tend towards increased diversity. And that's not true. Whether we're talking about microorganisms, you know, microbial ecology, or redwood forest, there's, there's not a lot of diversity if you look at a redwood forest. There's not a lot of diversity if you go out in the middle of America and you see that those beautiful waves of grass, I'm not talking about wheat, but, you know, the, just the, the fields that are out there that naturally occur. Environments generally tend towards less diversity. You have these uh, colonizing species that get in real quick, and then they're slowly replaced by a, a climax community, climax force, some, something that's going to be very stable until there's a perturbation. And that's so, so that's a general misconception amongst people is they think that, well, you want naturally a lot of diversity, and that's not true. And your aquarium is always tending towards less diversity. Whether that's good or whether that's bad depends upon what you do. And why I bring that up is studies have shown Sanjay you know, Joshi did a nice study that, on skimmers that showed that not only do skimmers remove bacteria, but they remove certain groups preferentially over others. So you're turning the system artificially to, to favor one group of bacteria. And it may not be the bacteria that you want. So th things are more complex than they seem. And just because, so that what that means is that if you're adding a mixture, and here I'm kind of agreeing to a certain extent with the person that posted this, just because you're adding a mixture doesn't mean that that mixture is going to help. Because there's several things at, at play here. One, does the mixture even have diverse group of bacteria in it? And that's easily tested nowadays with uh, you know genomic testing. And if you were to look at a lot of these bacteria mixes, you're going to find they don't have any diversity. It's basically monospecies or a couple of species. 
and if you all know, I grow bacteria. If you looked at ours, you're going to see there's many species, up to eight species in there. We're talking about our waste away and our eco balance. And more important, or just as important, is our bacteria were originally isolated from our aquariums or our ponds. That's where we got them. A lot of companies, that's not the case. They literally buy bacteria from a, a bacteria production company, and a lot of them use uh, grease trap bacteria, you know, which, which restaurants put down the grease trap to consume that so they don't become clogged. The grease trap doesn't become clogged up. They're not aquarium bacteria. And especially with our nitrifiers. I've, I've said many times, our nitrifiers aren't going to work in a sewage treatment plant. The nitrifiers that we grow are originally isolated from aquariums. They grow in low ammonia, low nitrite environments. So they can't be used in every environment in which there's ammonia or nitrite. Bacteria is like fish. You can't throw certain saltwater fish in freshwater and vice versa. That's not the environment they grow in. So just because... You know, it, it's just a fact of life, folks, that not all companies are reputable and they're selling you what the 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 thing of the day is. You know, well, now they're, you know, a couple of years ago, they were chemists and now they're microbiologists and now they're microbial ecologists uh, and trying to sell you that they've got all this diversity and diversity is good and blah, blah, blah. And that's just not happening. And then the other factor is, and here I, I can agree to a certain point, but there's operative words here. If you, if, that's the big thing, if you have a stable, mature aquarium, and I think people that have been in this hobby for a long time will recognize this, that in during the first six months to a year of setting up a reef tank, it goes through a lot of changes. And then at some point, something happens. And the more you don't interfere, the more you don't change things and get in there. Yeah, you've got to keep the parameters right. But I'm saying, you know, change, getting there and messing things with your hands and rearranging things and and adding this and adding that. When you back away from that, at some point, the tank almost seems to run itself. It just it just gets very stable. And I've had this happen many times. And then. Your job as the Aquarius, you make sure your calcium and your magnesium ratios are good. But you know, some people say, well, I haven't changed my water in years. And you're like, well, how's that possible? Well, maybe they weren't adding a bunch of fish. We were talking to reef tanks to a certain degree. And they've cut down on the amount of food they're adding and all those inputs. And the tank achieves stability and it just looks really great. Well, if you add bacteria in that to that tank, is it going to do much? And the answer is, we don't, we don't know for sure, but it seems that all the niches, the places that the bacteria could get a foothold have, have uh, been taken and they're occupied. And that's what, what I'm talking about is just because you add a mix to the tank, if there's not a resource or a niche the bacteria can uh, utilize, then they're probably going to be flushed out of the tank. 
and not become established. So that's it may not be the manufacturer's you know fault on that. People want to keep a stable tank, but just because you add it doesn't mean they become established. So you have to be careful with that. And then sometimes if there are niches available, just because you add it, maybe it doesn't happen what you want. And this can be the case when people are adding some type of uh, vodka dosing or organic because they're thinking, well, I want to, I want to grow this bacteria. And so I'm going to add this organic because that's what's missing. And then what happens? Well, they start growing all sorts of cyanobacteria and how'd that happen? Well, you added this fuel and this fuel doesn't just go to, you know, it's not specific for one type of heterotrophic bacterium. It can be used by everybody. You've added it. You keep on adding it. And I see this a lot in cyanobacteria tanks. The tank is already covered in cyanobacteria. As I've said many times, it's a numbers game. So the cyanobac team cyanobacteria is wiping out everybody and is become established. And, and what's I've heard this literally hundreds of times from going to trade shows now, you know, um, we started Dr. Tim's Aquatics. We started our 18th year this year. So I've been to a lot of shows. When I say trade shows, I'm talking about the Reef of Paloozas and the Aqua Shellas and Macdas, where you talk to people and things like that. Hobbies, which I love to do. And the common advice is, oh yeah, you know, get a bigger skimmer and add some uh, organics to my tank to combat cyanobacteria. And most of the time, people say it only made it worse. Why? Increasing the skimming rate, increasing the amount of skimming removes bacteria from the water column. And at the same time, you're adding this organic carbon, this fuel, vodka, whatever it is. Well, the heterotrophs, all heterotrophs want that. And cyanobacteria are heterotrophic. So you're feeding the cyanobacteria. So they grow like crazy because you're feeding them and you've eliminated their competition. Thank you very much. And so that's the wrong approach. If you want to get rid of, long-term, want to get rid of a, a group of bad bacteria for cyanobacteria, you have to have a perturbation, a change, a force. And you're that force. That's why we say in our directions, manually remove as much of that cyano as you can. You're, you're, you're taking charge now. You're going to get rid of that cyano and try to change the balance. And instead of the cyano being on top and ruling, get rid of them and then add good bacteria like our waste away, which from are, are from aquariums, and get them to reestablish a stronghold. And it doesn't mean it's always going to work. It generally will work. But you have to have the water quality where it needs to be. And again, I've talked about this. If you don't change the water chemistry, cyanobacteria dominate in tanks with a lot of organics, low nitrate, and medium to high phosphate. If all you do is get rid of the cyano physically and add some waste away, chances are the system is naturally going to head back to be dominated more by cyanos because the water chemistry overrides everything. The, the good bacteria and waste away can't really grow very well because the tank doesn't have the nitrate. And what's the nitrate about? I mean, nice for them. Um, Cyano is they can get nitrate right from the atmosphere. 
They don't need it to be in the form or they can get their nitrogen from the atmosphere. They don't need it to be in the form of, say, nitrate. So the perturbation is important, but the environment has to be right. And one of the you know biggest parts of this, Hillary, was you know the Earth used to be dominated by dinosaurs. And then the meteor hit. We didn't get dinosaurs back. That was that became eventually the age of mammals. Why didn't the dinosaurs come back? Have you I've never read? I mean, it was dominated by dinosaurs. We get the blackout from the earth from the meteor hitting the earth. The dinosaurs died back. What changed that now mammals became dominant? And you got to remember, folks, man, you know, humans, mammals really didn't appear at and man you know humans were never in at the same time period as dinosaurs and this is maybe that's a stretch of analogy but that's what you're trying to do here if you don't perturb the environment when it's when it's in the wrong phase and you're just adding something chances are the environment's not going to change because the niches are already taken over. It's reached that what they call that climax, that stable community, and you've got to change things. That's as I began this. That's what nature wants is to go to less species and uh, bigger numbers of those fewer species, bigger members of those fewer species that dominate. You see that pine forest, redwood tree forest, you know, even in some types of coral reefs, coral reefs have battle with each other. You know, that you've had that. The corals sting each other. They're fighting. And you can get these almost mono forest of corals, which in pictures look great, but there's not a lot of diversity there. So it's a false um, connotation that systems naturally want to be diverse. It's also maybe, it's also false that systems that have a huge amount of diversity are more stable. That's not always the case either. Um, and then you have to be adding the right types of bacteria, but the environment has to be correct, as we've said, or as I've been talking about. You know, if you're trying to get rid of dinoflagellates, what's what is almost, I'd say 95 out of 100 times when people say their tank is dominated by dinoflagellates, their nitrates and their phosphates are really low or zero. That is a perfect environment for dinoflagellates. And you can change it temporarily, but long-term, you've got to change the environmental parameters, the water chemistry, in order for it to become more dominated by heterotrophic bacteria in the water column and clean out all those dinos and things that are growing in the substrate that make the tank ugly. Did I say that all in one breath, Hillary? I think you did. You can do this for like a 45-minute podcast <laughs> in the 15th. Sorry. I was speaking really fast, wasn't I? <laughs> I feel like only... every time we talk, I always learn something that makes a lot of sense. Like we all talk about how good having a lot of biodiversity is, but in reality, like systems don't want a lot of biodiversity. There's, like you said, specific niches to be filled. Once those are filled... That's it. Right. And, and to get a, another organism, what you know, has a very difficult time taking over that niche because it's already occupied. You know, can, can it happen? Yes. I mean, and, and we, we see that with invasive species. 
but the fact is every you know every day invasive species come to you know a new environment whether it comes from shipping or just bilge water or whatever and and they don't always occur it, you know, yes it occurs and yes it's a big problem but nature is rather resilient to that change generally something has to happen and unfortunately in these modern days that something that happened is man got involved and and we eliminated um something that uh, that opened up a niche and that allowed these invasive species to get a stronghold at least for me that just opens up a huge can of worms especially when it comes to I mean, this is taking a step away from aquariums, but wildlife management and conservation. If there are impacts that we as humans, like things that we have caused that have allowed invasive invasive species to come in and they've kind of filled that niche, where, where does our responsibility lie to take that back out of the environment? Or like, is it our responsibility? Do we just leave it or... I wonder about these things all the time. Well, no, the, a lot of people wonder about these because, you know, and, and and not only do you leave it, but do you compound the problem by trying to fix it? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and and good exa- oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I think a good example of this, um, at least that I've been thinking about recently, is down in the Florida Keys, the water temperatures have been so warm. And I've had people ask me, like, oh, what do you think we're going to do? Are the corals going to make it? I was like, well, corals can adapt to a lot of things over time if if they're given enough time. But, you know, maybe the answer is moving a little bit further north. But then our responsibility, like, should we be moving corals out of their na- native habitat, even if it's into a habitat that would be better suited to their needs? Back to the like, where do you draw the line? What what would be the better solution for stuff like that? Right, and and there are huge conferences and papers and discussions on that, even to the point where you take the corals out and you culture them in labs. Do you put them back? Are are they natural? You know, once you've taken them out and, and cultured them. And where do you put them back and which ones do you put them back in ratios and things like that? And there's no simple answer to any to any of that. Um, ones that you've grown to be resistant to bacteria and diseases and, you know, all sorts of stuff. Unless, oh, man, adding more layers to this. Yeah. And, and you almost start to get into, you know, these these um, Marvel or whatever it is, movies where you're where are you rewinding things and playing, you know, choosing others? And then what are the unintended consequences? And that's always the bigger issue is what is the unintended consequence? And can you think of all those unintended consequences? And are they bigger than the problem that you were trying to solve? Be playing Thanos and just snapping our fingers. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the point that I was trying to get across is, well, there were several points. One is there is a general lack of knowledge on ecology and microbial ecology, um, which, of course, is my my background. <laughs> so, um, and that th- that people have in aquariums. Well, you know, we want to be more diverse. Well, 
first define diversity and uh, do you, you know, and, and things like that. And th then the second thing we, we, because now you have this tool, uh, genomics, you can take a sample, you can send it to a lab and they can tell you, well, these are all the species or genuses or, or, you know, a lot of cases it just comes up, becomes back unknown. This is what was in there and this is a relative ratio. Okay. Doesn't tell you what they were doing. We have to make guesses of what they were doing. Then the other thing you look at is you come back and you look at that list and check how many we can grow. And I guarantee you it's not very many of them. We're trying, but uh, doesn't mean that we're successful with that. So when someone says, oh, well, you know, I've got this great mix, this magic, I hate the word magic, you know, any any product that has the word magic attached to it, throw that away personal opinion. But there's no one, and I'll, I'll include us, we're not able to grow all the different bacteria that we can identify when we run genomic samples in an aquarium. It gives us a target of, you know, a, 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 a goal or a pathway that maybe if this is, you know, the organisms that are the most dominant those are the ones that maybe we should grow. But it takes a lot of experimentation. If you disturb the tank, do those species numbers change? If you do this, do those species numbers change? And Are more important... species numbers the same if you have fish from the Caribbean versus fish from the Indo-Pacific or, you know, freshwater regions? Exactly. they're not the same. We don't know. Oh, so, still so much we don't know. Uh, the, when it comes to the microbial world, there is so much we don't know. We 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 don't know who they are. Uh, we're getting better at that. We don't know what they do. And sometimes bacteria have to be in consortiums. They have to be groups of bacteria. And that, you know, that's what they originally thought with the nitrifiers. Turned out to be false. But there, there are types where you have to have a couple of different bacteria to get the process you need done. We don't know that. Uh, and then how to how to actually grow them in a lab in large numbers. Yeah, we're not very good at that either. So we're we're in huge infancy infancy here um when it comes to all this knowledge, which which makes it which makes it a lot of fun. But also as a consumer you want to be careful about marketing claims that say, you know, wow, well, you, you get this and you're going to reestablish all this huge diversity that you need in your aquarium. That's bunk. Okay. Nobody knows what the ideal bacterial diversity is in any aquarium. It, it just isn't happening. The bacteria we grow, because you can just go, well, Dr. Tim, what are you doing? Well, I've sh I know that the bacteria for the nitrifiers come from aquariums, and I've published and shown that they're important to start up that phase. And now through the years, you know, the hundreds of thousands of people that have used it have been able to cycle their, their tank. And so that's good evidence that it works. Now, go once the tank is set up with the waste away bacteria, again, isolated from aquariums and when you put them back 
and you have them in an environment that they can grow because people, it didn't work. Well, you have no phosphate and you have no nitrate. They're not going to work. We don't say they work in all cases. We don't say they're magic. We don't say they're the end all be all by, you know, bacterial diversity. They're there for specific tasks, reduce organics, reduce nitrates and phosphates. But it doesn't mean that your system is perfectly balanced because nobody can define what perfectly balanced is. So um, I, I guess the overall message is beware of uh, scientific Trojan horses. How's that? I like that. Just thought that one up. But, uh, it, you know, we as a company try to be honest and fair and grow and talk to people and we don't. Well, you know, I've said it lots of times. If we don't know, we don't know. Doesn't mean we can't know. Doesn't mean we're not trying to know. But uh, when you look at the basic principles that are, because microbial ecology, call it we, diversity, all these things are very topical. I look at the forums and I cannot comment. I just don't have the, enough time in a lifespan to correct all these errors. So that's part of this um, podcast is is to discuss and at some point hillary maybe we do a we've talked about this a whiteboard series or something um Ooh, yes on on my on ecology and microbial ecology just simple the simple principles the basics um and, and if you're interested you know there's this whole thing it goes back to uh theory of island ecology where oh boy <laughs> You know where I'm going with this. <laughs> we're we're going to tiptoe into this uh, rabbit hole, but I, you know. But um, in the '70s, there were a group of studies done where these e ecologists took these little islands, and then they weren't very big, off the coast of Florida in the Keys, and they painstakingly tried to count and identify all the different species. And I'm not talking microbial because at this at that point bacteria you know were that black box that i've talked about nobody really knew how to count them how to identify them what they did or anything like that so i'm talking about insects mostly birds and things like that and then they they figured out what all these islands had got kind of a ratio what and then they depopulated the island and watched and over the years what recolonized those islands did it come back the same did it was it different and wrote lots of books and papers on that and as i said earlier the, the earth was dominated by dinosaurs there can be no debate on that i mean you see them all over the place right and they were huge and then in the span you know a very short time period as you measure you know earth's lifespan they were gone and that was, you know, the big asteroid that hit. Why didn't the dinosaurs come back? I don't have an answer. But now, mammal, you know, humans came, which is, you know, not you eventually came to humans. But the system became, Earth is the system, became dominated by what eventually became mammals. What happened? You know, what, what, why, what changed 
there's couple there's lots of questions if you're in that philosophical mood what what originally led to dinosaurs being the dominant species did they eat everything because they were huge and some of them were carnivorous and nasty if you believe the movies <laughs> well they did have big claws and they were huge there's no doubt about it. <laughs> but they ate everything um and i don't have an answer to this i don't know i'm sure Someone has a lot of people have pondered this. I can't say that I've read anything that would be interesting if people have comments and can point us towards that because that would be interesting to know. But you know, dinosaurs didn't come back. And the point of that is if you perturb your aquarium initially, maybe it doesn't come back, which is good if you've got cyanos or dinos, you're trying to be that force and you've got to get rid of it. Um, but it's it's not going to become more diverse over time. That's not what happens in nature. That's not that's just not what happens. So, have I made some clear points, Hillary, or, or have I just rambled and confused everybody? I thought it was very clear. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It doesn't always have to be about nitrifying bacteria. Um, I do have uh, a question for you. Hypo yeah. A hypothetical question, because like you said, we don't know a lot of stuff. A couple of years back, I think it was Tycho Blair that was trying to put together um, ecosystem habitats, basically, that just that were very specific. Do you think that in the future, things like that would be the trend? Because we've talked about how, you know, what would be in so like an Indo-Pacific tank versus a Caribbean tank versus, you know, a cold water tank the microorganisms would be different. Do you think in the future that people would have more success if they had more, uh, I don't want to say species-specific tanks, but along those lines? I, I definitely, oh yeah, definitely think so. Um, and, and as we've talked about, you know, aquariums that have set up cold water tanks, they were never very successful at getting nitrification going. And then what happened? We, you know, researchers discovered that once you're below 50 Fahrenheit, 10 degrees C, the microbial habitat changes and it's dominated by ammonia oxidizing archaea rather than ammonia oxidizing bacteria. Um, but, you know, your, for your first question, would people go for this? I don't know. People kind of choose colors and looks and things like that i have always tried to keep uh where i didn't mix south american fish with asian fish whether it was fresh water you know or, or salt water i like to have fish that would naturally appear that's why i'm some of these paintings where they have the whales and the dolphins and all these type of fish swimming all together you know nice colors but i guess the ecologist in me can't see that or doesn't want to <laughs> see that <laughs> Like, I, I have that, a couple of purses that have fish patterns on them and they have like freshwater angelfish and saltwater environments. I'm like, no, that wouldn't work. Yeah. Well, I don't know that I have the images anymore, but when Dr. Tim's first started, we had a graphic artist and they seriously put discus in a saltwater tank. And I said, no, you can't do that. And they said, but the colors go together. It looks perfect. I'm not removing them. Well, I own the company and I'm paying your paycheck and you're removing them. <laughs> they had a rainbow trout in a freshwater tank, which at least it was fresh water, but who keeps fresh water in their home, you know, rainbow trout in their fresh water aquarium at home? Not too many people. Um, <laughs> and, and, and this isn't a knock. It's not my fish. You know, 
pilotfish, fish, but the glowfish. Uh, but they get a lot of people interested. You know, it's the same thing when people talk about zoos and aquariums. It gets people interested. And when people are interested, they get concerned. When they get concerned, then you can get them to, uh, to call a call to action to preserve forests, to preserve environments, to preserve uh, different things. If they don't see it, they don't know it, they don't care about it. It's kind of my philosophy. So there's a tool there as long as the animals are kept ethically and healthy and fed and and cared for, which which uh, is definitely the case more and more these days. And, and it's the responsibility of the hobbyist too. If you keep an animal, and I'm talking about, you know, dogs, cats, fish, any animal, if you're keeping that animal, you're responsible for that animal. And it's, you should be giving it the best care that it can get. That's yes, my feeling. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but definitely to get to your question, I mean, I've always liked those um, geographically right tanks with the bacteria um, the bacteria are pretty much the, you know, the, the same that I've seen. They're not so geographically isolated because I know like the nitrifiers, the nitrospira, when I first, uh, you know, published my paper on that and I was the first one to show what it was. Well, there were definitely, there were two other, three other groups, two were in Europe and one was in Australia. And the organisms were, you know, pretty much the same. You know, you, when it comes to bacteria, where do you have one species versus another species and things like that? But they were definitely close related because what can happen is called geographical isolation that leads to new species. You know, something happens where species, a group is in a geographical area. Uh, a cavern, some, something happens, a lake forms where they cannot get physically together. And over time, those, what were one species can evolve into two species. And I mean, the classic case of that's the Galapagos Islands and the Darwinian finches and things like, I just, I just, to my mind, it looks, you know, correct geographical fish aquariums look best, but I'm not against the other one. If that's what you like and that's what you care for, it's fine with me. Okay, here's another question for you. Do you think that technology has improved that we're able to see more with respect to microbiology and you know some of these bacteria that there's something that we may have missed because the technology wasn't there? Oh, that's, that's uh, 100% true. Um, we can definitely see... And by you know different techniques, maybe not with our eyes because you can't see bacteria with your eyes very well. Um, not all of them. The problem, the, the 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 issue is, what do they do? And that's um, that takes a lot more work. Yeah, the, they do. Well, you see these bacteria. Do you really know what they're doing? You know, we you can get a list. I could call up on the computer here a list. Um, for, that people send me that, you know, uh, this is all these bacteria that were isolated. I sent a genomic sample in. This is what came back. Okay. What are they doing? We don't Just know. hanging out, drinking coffee. <laughs> that's it. Uh, but, but that's, you know, and, and that's what we don't know yet. More and more we're getting there, but, but we don't, we, we tend to do that even in, um, 
nitrifying cases, you know, and, and there's some classic studies that I reference in some papers that I've written where yeah, these researchers, they just had it in their mind. It had to be a nitrobacter linogratsky, and they knew what nitrobacter linogratsky looked like because, you know, that's been known since the late 1800s. Um, and they did all this electron microscopy in an aquarium. This was an aquaculture facility, biofilters, and they couldn't find it. And their conclusion wasn't, well, maybe nitrobacter Winogratsky isn't the nitrite oxidizer because they knew the system was oxidizing nitrite. Their conclusion was their techniques weren't good enough to find nitrobacter Winogratsky. Well, the answer was it wasn't there because that's not where it grows. Your techniques were fine. But, you know, you we have that bias. Well, this is what's supposed to be there. And that's where, you know, now genomics, but, you know, when I started in microbial ecology years and years ago, using molecular probes and what are called culture-independent methods, you didn't have to culture anything, you know, in in high school you've, you've seen it you grow the petri dishes nitrifiers hate petri dishes if you want to grow nitrifiers you're not growing them on petri dishes um and the petri dish who says it's got everything that can grow all the bacteria that are in the sample and it doesn't it it grows what it grows but it, what it grows is not what dominates it gives a very biased result culture independent Techniques are where we just take the sample, extract the DNA. Now you can just send it in and get a biogenomics test. And the issue there is that in, in environmental samples, there can be such a wide range of certain bacteria that you get a lot of unknowns because we don't have a database for them. They, they haven't been named. We don't know what they do. But that makes things fun and opens up lots of opportunities. So uh, stay tuned. It's it's a good time. It's it's a fun time for microbial ecology, and it's definitely important. It you know micro microorganisms, bacteria, archaea, you know all these things definitely rule, and, and will be here long after you know we humans screw this place up. Not to be too downer on it, but. Um, uh, them and cockroaches, right? To, to circle back to the original thing, you you do need to add bacteria to your tank when if you see there's problems, you know. And and uh, we've we've done this. We see this at shows. People will come up and they'll go, "Well, you know, what do I need to add?" My first question is, "What's your issue?" If your tank is doing well. And you like how it looks. It doesn't have algae. It's not a lot of work. You're not getting, you know, it's just, it looks nice. Leave it alone. You don't have to always add something. And, you know, the salespeople just fainted when I said this, but that's just the truth. Um, when, so, so you don't have to intervene. And especially I've, you know, seen this a lot in, um, I think saltwater tanks that are dominated by corals, 
Why? Because we're not adding a lot of food. And when you're not adding a lot of food, you're not adding a lot of what's basically what's pollution. Think about, you know, you've got an aquarium and you're fresh water and it's full of fish and you're adding lots of food each day. That becomes pollution, whether it's ammonia that becomes nitrite, nitrate, it's the organics, all that stuff. And in, you know, I've run coral reef systems where you didn't add a lot of food. We, you know, dosing bacteria is m- minor compared to the organic inputs of dosing, you know, flake food and pellets foods and things like that. Um, but if you have an issue, cyano, dino, hair algae, things like that, uh, yes, I grow bacteria, but I can promise you chemicals are a temporary fix that are really just going to lead you down a you know a path of pulling you know pulling out your hair and spending more money and no long-term cure bacteria offer a long-term cure when combined with knowledge of the water chemistry that you need to get to and how you can get there and that's kind of what this whole series of podcasts are is to help you um when you have problems if you don't have problems grab a cup of coffee and enjoy that's a good note to end on. Yes, I think so. So there's not always a problem that has to be cured. Nope. Okay. So uh, hopefully I spiked your interest and we get lots of questions um, on this and we can do some more sessions on just uh, basic e- ecology and microbial ecology and how that pertains to your aquarium. Uh, of course, I find it fascinating. I got a PhD in this. <laughs> So, so fascinating. Um, but it's just a field that uh, news discoveries all the time and interesting and definitely applies to the aquariums. So to be continued. Uh, any last thoughts, Hillary? I hope you guys want to continue this because I'm fascinated by this. So we will. Well, you and I de- decide what we're going to do, right? So Exactly. That's it. Now, you and... You, the listener, can also decide by commenting on social media, um, suggestions, you know, info at drtimsaquatics.com. We definitely read them all. Well, Hillary does. And, um, you know, we we like input and uh, comments and things like that. So thank you very much for listening. This has been another Dr. Tim's Aquatics podcast with Dr. Tim and Hillary. Good fish keeping.